Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you are, no matter what time it is, it's a great day to be serving the Lord. Welcome to the Go Ye There podcast. I'm your host, Leland Johnson, and we are so happy to have you with us today. Being safe, what does it really mean? And how do you stay safe if your calling takes you to unsafe areas? Let's head into the open. Long before the devil quoted it to Jesus, Psalms 91.11 was giving comfort to God's people. It says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. What a tremendous promise. But you know, to be honest, the thought of safety varies a lot between missionaries. Some people feel safe within the walls of their house. Others feel safe by practicing self-defense techniques. You know, I used to feel safe here in Brazil inside my car until just a few weeks after recording today's interview when I was robbed at gunpoint inside my car. You know, God's Word says that we enjoy God's protection, but that doesn't mean that we'll never have to face difficult or scary situations. There are many people who feel that the right option is just to trust God and hope for the best, while there's others that feel that it's always important to have some sort of self-protection device along with them, both of whom would say that they trust God 100%. Regardless of where you stand on the subject, today's episode will help you. We talk with safety and security expert Dan Betlin to learn how to better prepare ourselves for whatever situation we find ourselves in. Let's get started. Dan Burton and his wife Courtney are the owners of Diamondback Protection Services and Diamondback Combative. Diamondback is a Christian organization whose focus is on training and protecting missionaries and humanitarian organizations, especially in the third world. They not only offer courses designed to prepare those going abroad, but also offer ground support for groups traveling to different countries. Dan, it is great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Dan, let me start off by asking you, how should I prepare myself for going to live in a different country? Well, the very first thing you need to do is research the country you're going to. Find out what language is spoken. Learn as much of it as you can prior to going. Uh, Being able to communicate is is extremely vital when you're traveling, especially to a place with a large cultural difference. You want to understand as well what kind of crimes are prevalent there because we're, we're talking about protecting ourselves from crime. And so you need to understand what's actually happening. And a lot of times the U.S. State Department has good information on their website, or you can do a Google search and find all that kind of stuff out. Also, understanding whether the local authorities can be trusted to help. I've spent a lot of time working in areas where the police are just as bad as the criminals, and trying to get anything done through the law enforcement channels requires bribery. And so having Foreknowledge of that can help you not be surprised and taken off guard by it. In addition to that, it's also wise to get some training. You know, things like basic emergency medicine, understanding how to control bleeding, those types of things, maybe splint an arm, you know, in the case that you have to travel to a hospital or something like that. Off-road driving is a great one. You know, in a lot of third-world countries, they don't maintain the roads properly, and there are also places frequently that are prone to earthquakes, 
hurricanes, those types of things. So roads can be closed by mudslides or by anything like that. And learning how to pick a route and drive in a place that uh, you know will be passable, not get you stuck, all of that kind of stuff is important as well. So those are uh, those are some considerations. You know, Dan, a lot of times missionaries, because they look different, they can become a target. How do I keep myself from being targeted by people in a particular country? Well, the short answer is blend in. Um, Try to emulate local customs, gestures, and dress as much as possible, and don't commit social taboos that are going to end up getting you in trouble. For example, I was recently in the Middle East, and in a lot of the Middle East, showing the sole of your foot is considered extremely rude. Now, most of the people there would probably forgive it, uh, understanding that you're not from there, but it's still going to make you stand out as a foreigner. And those are things that we want to try to avoid. Obviously, you don't want to insult anyone either, but that's kind of secondary in this instance. Um, clothing choices can be a big one. A lot of people, when they go to, you know, for example, a place like Mexico, will go and buy a, a sombrero from a street side vendor and, and wear that around. Well, nobody in Mexico wears a sombrero anymore. It's a cultural clothing choice that people buy as a novelty and if you're wearing that you stand out as a as a foreigner wearing flashy jewelry or in some places wearing jewelry at all can make you stand out spending a lot of money can make you stand out wearing clothing with flags on it or emblems or or even in some cases english writing can make you stand out so clothing and and accessory choices are are something to take into consideration secondly You want to maintain awareness. This is a big part of what our company Diamondback does is train people in proper awareness, being able to pick out a threat before it becomes a threat, being able to sort of deselect yourself from the criminal process. Sometimes you can't avoid standing out simply just because of the area of the world you're in, your hair color, eye color, skin color, et cetera. Those things may make you stand out to begin with. In in those types of situations, you want to appear to be a hard target. And what I mean by a hard target is somebody that is not going to be easy to take off guard. And that's what a lot of these criminals are trying to do, especially when you're talking about a profit crime such as a robbery or a mugging. Those types of criminals are looking for an easy target. They're looking for somebody who's unaware. And so if you can display physical awareness, you're much much less likely to be selected as as sort of prey. So some basic things that you can do to maintain a uh, position of awareness, I guess, is keep a straight spine and keep your head on the swivel. Stand up straight and look around. Those are the, the two main things that are going to make you appear to be aware. The appearance of awareness is incredibly important. Thirdly, always know where you're going. If you're on the move, have a course plotted with a secondary route just in case. Use a map or you know an iPhone. Don't wander around aimlessly and hope you're going to find what you're looking for. Plan it out beforehand. Uh, Google Maps is a great tool for that as well because you can zoom in and, and use uh, the satellite imagery to find out if you know a roadblock is there or something like that. And if you if you don't know where you're at and you need to find it, stop. Put your back to a wall so that no one can sneak up behind you and look at a map that way. But if you're wandering aimlessly, looking at everything, you're standing out. Now, one of the things that you just said is being aware. But let me ask you, what exactly am I trying to be aware of? So the first thing is somebody 
staring at you. Now, they may be staring at you because you don't fit in. Uh, they may also be staring at you because they want to select you as a target. If you find somebody staring at you more than they should be, that's a big one. If you find somebody correlating to your movement, by which I mean you cross the street, they cross the street behind you. They're sort of staying in step with you. Those are things to be aware of. With awareness, we break it down into four levels. The first level is situational awareness, and that's a term that gets thrown around a lot. So I'm going to break it down the way that I define it. Situational awareness is the animate objects, events, and circumstances that are taking place around you. So examples of that would be crowds, sporting events, political rallies, those types of things. For example, a political rally can change from peaceful to violent very quickly. And so understanding the, the mood of the crowds and the sort of overall emotion that's taking place around you is a good thing. Looking for people that are out of place where they're at. Somebody who is standing around and doesn't seem to have a reason to be there. Uh, they're not selling something. They're not working or, or doing anything. They're just kind of standing around. That's a, a big red flag. Also, somebody approaching you is, is not necessarily a red flag, but it's uh, part of the equation that could turn into some kind of a physical threat. So it's important to maintain distance as safely and, and as um, culturally friendly as you can, because many cultures have different standards when it comes to personal space than we do here in, in North America. So the second level of awareness is environmental. Environmental awareness is about the area and region that you're in, and we talked a little bit about that, as well as unknown areas such as you know, around corners, behind doors, any area that you can't visually confirm what's there. The third level is adrenal awareness or physiological awareness. This is something that is going to happen if you are attacked or if your body thinks that you're about to be attacked. It'll give you an adrenaline dump and you're going to exhibit some symptoms. A lot of those symptoms can be detrimental if you don't know how to deal with them, and especially if you don't expect them. Things like holding your breath. Air in the lungs supports the spine, and you need to have a supported spine if you're going to do any kind of physical, strong physical effort. So the, the body will naturally hold its breath. That's not a good thing if you have to run. So you need to understand how to break through that and consciously start breathing again. Having that in your head will help to mitigate it is the criminal awareness or predator awareness, understanding how criminals do what they do. First off, it's most likely going to be an ambush or a surprise attack. And that doesn't mean you don't see the person necessarily, although they could just run up behind you. Ambush or surprise attack. Second is the use of deception to distract or close distance. Here in North America, a lot of times what will happen is somebody will come up and say, hey, have you got a cigarette? Hey, have you got some spare change? Something along those lines to try to get in close enough that they can launch an attack. The third thing is the presence of a weapon. We always need to plan for the fact that our adversary is going to be armed. This guy is not looking for a fair fight. He's not looking to you know, have a boxing match in the street. He wants to get whatever he's trying to get out of it. This is, like I said, a profit crime. And the last thing is disparity in numbers, meaning you're going to be outnumbered. You have to bank on that. Always assume that these four things are going to be present. Ambush, deception, weapons, and we're going to be outnumbered. Let's say that I find myself in an emergency situation like you're talking about. 
Is it even safe to fight back? No, it's not. Fighting by its very nature is unsafe. You never know the outcome, and you're engaged in a physical activity that is designed to hurt somebody, and their intent is to hurt you. So no, it's not safe. However, it may be your best option. I would much rather come out of it with a black eye and and a a broken hand than bleeding out in a ditch somewhere in, in a third world country. The first thing I want to say regarding this is if a criminal wants your your wallet, the money that you're carrying, your cell phone, whatever, just give it to them. It's not worth your life. It's not worth fighting over possessions. What is worth fighting for is your family. If you're with a, a child or your spouse or whatever and somebody is trying to take them or they're even trying to hurt you, that's worth fighting for. Because if they're trying to hurt you, if you're out of the picture, that leaves them free to do whatever they want to do to your family member. And that's not something that any self-respecting man is okay with. So in, in those situations, you need to fight. Also, if the person decides that they want to take you to a secondary location, for example, you give them your wallet and has your debit card in it, and they say, okay, we need to go to an ATM. You need to take some money out for me. That's a point where you need to fight because you don't know if they're going to actually take you to an ATM. They may be taking you to the van with the armed men in it. And a secondary crime scene is always going to be more secluded and it's going to give them more time and opportunity to do whatever it is they want to do. You don't want to go to a secondary crime scene. By any, by any means necessary, avoid that. It's important to get training. Physical combat is an ugly thing. And if you're not prepared for it, if you don't understand it, it's going to be much more frightening than if you do. And it's, it's frightening to begin with. Any, anybody trying to physically harm you is a frightening thing because we're just not used to it. But the more you can understand and get used to it, the better you're going to be. If I'm already living outside of the United States and I don't have any training at all, is there anything that I can do to try to prepare myself for a situation? There's a few things that you can do. And the first thing is maintain physical fitness. If your body's in good shape, your mind stays sharper and you're better prepared for a confrontation. And physical fitness doesn't require a gym or hours on the treadmill, even if you're doing five or 10 push-ups at a time and aim for a, a number of 50 in a day and just do a few sets throughout the day. Same with squats or lunges and sit-ups and those kinds of things. You know, there's, there's lots of time throughout the day when you're sitting there not doing anything. You can drop down and do a, a quick set of push-ups and uh, get yourself into better physical condition. If you are already in great shape, then that's a huge point in your favor. And just maintain that status of physical fitness. That's going to help a lot. Secondly, if you have access to the Internet, there's a lot of great books that you can find on uh, Kindle app or something like that, or if you have a place that you can have them shipped. There's a lot of books with really solid information regarding just awareness and avoidance and uh, those types of things. Three titles here that, I, uh, that I'm a big fan of is No Second Chance by Mark Hatmaker, Combatives for Street Survival by Kelly McCann, and Meditations on Violence by Rory Miller. Um, now, it's important to understand your your listeners are all missionaries, so none of these books are written from a Christian perspective. You're going to have to put up with some um, graphic language in, in certain areas, but all of these books have excellent information that I highly recommend. 
Uh, and so reading will help to prepare your mind as well. And like everybody said, most of these things are 90% mental and 10% physical. So if you're in reasonable shape and your mind is prepared as best as it can be, you're miles ahead of the game. Um, and there are some areas, for example, you mentioned that you're in Brazil. In Brazil, they have Brazilian jiu-jitsu everywhere. And it's, it, you know, it's a great martial art that you could study if you have the time and resources. And then other, other areas of the world have different martial arts. Thailand has Muay Thai and um, you know, Israel has Krav Maga. And all over the world, there's, there's different combative arts that you could get into if you're so inclined. Dan, could you finish up by telling us a little bit about Diamondback Protective Services and Diamondback Combative? So Diamondback Combative is a company that I started back in 2006, and it started out of necessity. Um, my brother, younger brother, went to a party when he was 19 or 20 or something like that and ended up getting attacked by five or six people and getting hurt pretty bad, uh, put in the hospital and all that. So I wanted to make sure that that didn't happen again. And so we kind of reverse engineered the whole thing from there and we recreated the situation and worked on ways to escape from that, from a worst case scenario. And that's always been our philosophy is you start with worst case scenario first and then work your way back. And, and that way, if you're prepared for the worst case scenario, you're prepared for the best case scenario. Then I was contacted by a, an organization that, had a young people's program sending missionaries overseas and they wanted some training. And uh, I, I came down and taught classes for them and I've been teaching classes for them for over 10 years. I've been multiple, multiple places for extended periods of time and uh, have had the chance to protect people that are medical missions and logistical support and all kinds of different missions like that. So God's been good and really given me some great opportunities. And if anyone has any questions, feel free to contact me. Uh, you can contact me through my website, which is diamondbackps.com, or directly from my email, which is kind of long. It's dan at diamondbackcombatives.com. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I really believe that the information that you've shared will be a great start for missionaries and how to keep ourselves safe on the field. Thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you. Let me just add a few thoughts before we finish up. Interestingly enough, before we moved to Brazil, I was with a national pastor who wanted me to move to his town to start a work. As he was showing me around, he showed me a gated community and he told me that he thought this would be a good place for me to live. I commented that I didn't know if I wanted to live behind gates when he doesn't. And he told me, Pastor, if the people in my city find out that you're an American, they will rob and kill you. You must live in a protected area. Yet, when I told this to some other missionaries, they disagreed completely with the national pastor and advocated against the advice of the national while other missionaries that I shared it with agreed 100%. As I said, the opinions are endless. You know, sometimes I think as men, we often feel invincible. We feel that we can live anywhere and suffer anything for Christ. But in my experience as a pastor in the U.S. and now as a missionary, I found that it's frequently the wife of the missionary that is the reason that they're leaving the field. You know, it occurs to me 
that God created women with the need to feel safe and secure. That's one of the primary roles that husbands have. You know, it makes me wonder if sometimes as missionaries, in our zeal to look like the nationals, we put our wives in situations where they're in constant fear. This fear may express itself as stress, sickness, or a host of other things that may cause us to have to return from the field. You know, I wonder if one or two more supporting churches in order to keep your family on the field for a lifetime is not well worth the investment. Anyways, let's get finished up. You may have noticed that last month, for the first time since starting in November, we did not release an episode every week. You may be wondering if we're running out of show topics or guests, and believe me, that's not the case. We have plenty of show topics and guests to keep us going for a long time, but we have had a big change in our ministry responsibilities. We've taken over a large ministry for a missionary who's gone on furlough, and as we're still working on the language, this is creating a tremendous amount of extra work to be able to preach and handle all the different things that are going on in this ministry. You know, we love doing the podcast and have every intention of continuing, but our new episodes are going to have to be released bi-weekly for the foreseeable future. Obviously, our ministry responsibilities come first. Also, keep in mind that this is the last show in this rotation, and as usual, we're going to be taking a little break. We're planning to be back with you the first week of June. Remember, you can always follow us on Facebook or Twitter at GoYeThere to know when new episodes are being released. Also, by going to our website, you can sign up to receive email notifications of the new episodes. We're really looking forward to our new season of shows that are going to be starting in June. We have episodes on caring for your vehicle when you can't trust the mechanics, episodes on strengthening your marriage, episodes for single missionaries, episodes on managing your busy schedule, and a whole lot more. We're looking forward to being with you. We hope that you'll join us.